This week I'm going to be reviewing a book called The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. It was written by John Bogle. And this book caught my attention. The reason it caught my attention was because Warren Buffett has recommended the book. He highly recommended the book to the average investor. Now, when Warren Buffett suggests reading a book, I'm guessing about investing, I'm guessing that it's probably common sense, pardon the pun, pun too, to, to read it and to learn from it. I'd like to cover the basics of this book. It's actually a very, very simple book, a very simple read. He gives lots of examples. He gives lots of historical examples and in math examples of, of what's happening. But there's a basic premise of this book. And the basic premise is that mutual funds are awful. They're not, they're not only awful, they're almost evil in some ways. He, he doesn't call them evil. But as you read through this book and you start to understand how mutual funds work, the average person is probably going to come up with that uh, supposition at the end. They're going to believe, wait a second, if this is true, why does anyone invest in mutual funds? And that that's a really good question. The reason people invest in mutual funds, this is my personal opinion, is that they're really well marketed. Mutual funds spend investors' money to market their mutual funds. And they've got a lot of investors' money to do that with. Let's just, just jump into this a, a little bit. The focus is on mutual funds, but he, John Bogle will cover a little bit of other stuff as well. One of the main concepts or one of the main themes of this book is what John Bogle calls the rules of humble arithmetic. And this is basically how this goes. The rules of humble arithmetic are that in the stock market, if, every, if there were no costs to the stock market, if there were, there were no brokerage fees, if there were no taxes when you, when you liquidated some, some, some stocks or, or, or bonds or mutual funds or whatever you have, if there were no brokers or managers or anything like that, then it would be a zero-sum game. Every time somebody wins in a stock purchase, somebody loses in that stock sale or vice versa. In other words, there's only a certain amount of money. And every time somebody wins $5, somebody loses $5. So it's a zero sum game. At the end of the game, if everything else is even, your chances long term of doing well is basically zero. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to do about as well as a lot of other people generally. Now, some people might say, well, wait a second. There are some people who do extremely well. What about the really smart people? Those people tend to be hired by companies to run mutual funds. They're called, they're fund, called fund managers. And those fund managers take massive fees. They're paid extremely well for what they're doing. Plus a mutual fund so the mutual fund has managers, then there are brokerage fees, and then there, there are taxes when you, when you take your money out of that fund, plus there's the sales and advertising costs of that company who use your money, the investment money, part of it, to run their company. So you are paying for the company costs, and you are paying for the managers, and you are paying for brokerage fees, and you're paying taxes, and you're paying for sales and advertising and all these things. That's after the zero-sum game. 
His basic point, the rules of humble arithmetic, he states this over and over again, is that it's a zero-sum game before costs, but then after costs, it's a loser's game. And this is a direct quote from, from his book. He says, before costs, beating the market is a zero-sum game. After costs, it is a loser's game. And he comes back to this point over and over and over again. Now, maybe what I'll do is, is I'll, I'll talk about uh, some other examples. Maybe somebody says, well, that's okay, though. I mean, if if I'm paying some fees, but this this brilliant money manager, mutual fund manager, is able to beat the market by a bunch, then we're okay at the end, are we not? Well, no, you're not. There's actually a really interesting, I think it's about chapter 10 in the book. He talks about how there were over 350 funds since 1970, and he followed them. And what he found was that only two, I'm going to repeat this, out of over 350 funds, there were only two who significantly outperformed the S&P 500. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. In, in, in over 40 years of research, by the time this was first written, out of a, over a hundred, over 350 funds, there were only two that significantly outperformed the S&P 500. Over 80% died because they were terrible. And then a ton just basically went around the market. There were only two that outperformed the market. Now, if, if 80% or over 80% died because they were they were poorly managed and then there were another crazy amount and there were only two that out significantly outperformed what that means initially and he spells this out in the book is that everything except for two funds did not do well as the market if you would have simply invested in the in the in the market in something that covers the entire market then you would have done better than everything except for two of them because other than those two everything else takes a percentage point everything costs money <laughs> they're taking the management fees they're taking the every all the other um, again brokerage fees and ta they pay taxes every time they they turn over uh, their their own portfolios every time they decide to sell something and buy something they're paying portfolio or brokerage fees so legitimately there were only two that were from the S&P 500 now these are terrible odds already not only that these two funds were managed by geniuses. Maybe you say, well, great, let's go find the geniuses. Well, guess what? When As soon as the geniuses left the funds, the funds did terribly compared to the S&P 500. And until these geniuses were widely recognized, people didn't even know about the fund. So basically, what, it's, what he's saying is that for a long time, these managers did well and people didn't know about the funds. Only after they did well for a really long time did they know about it, and by then, they had almost left the funds anyway. So afterward, they were recognized, they left and the funds fell. And what he was saying was, even if you get in near the beginning, when you pull your funds out by selling the fund, when that manager, when that genius manager leaves, you will end up paying huge taxes to reinvest in some other fund. So you get caught in every little way you can with mutual funds. Mutual funds, generally speaking, are a terrible idea. Now, there are, there are a few other things that, that he talks about. This is the other major theme of the book. And the other major theme of the book is, okay, if, if, if mutual funds aren't the way to invest, and if investing in yourself is a zero-sum game, what do you do? What can you do? How, how do you invest in such a way that makes sense? And he quotes Warren Buffett multiple times in here. Warren Buffett has gone on record many times. 
what Warren Buffett has said in the past is before his wife died was that, Hey, listen, when I die, all of my, all of my portfolio, I'm going to basically put it into the S and P 500, uh, an S and P 500 indexed ETF. Now, this is what I, I'm going to explain what an indexed ETF is. First of all, I'll explain what the S and P 500 is. The S and P 500 is made up basically of the 500 largest companies, publicly traded companies in the U.S. I'm going to repeat that. The S&P 500 simply follows, it's a number that follows the 500 largest companies in the United States. So it's, it's already covering kind of the best of the best in many ways. Not only that, an index fund, and I'll give you the, the specific fund that Warren Buffett suggests, the in, and this is all st stated in the book as well. An index fund basically says we will we will not do better than the S&P 500 or worse than the S&P 500. We're going to mimic the S&P 500. We're simply going to buy shares of the S&P 500 and we are going to pay you dividends. What a dividend is, is every every quarter or every whatever, they, usually it's every quarter, um, a, a company, a publicly traded company gives you a dividend check. So based on the amount of shares you have, they give you a percentage back in cash. What Warren Buffett has suggested is that you buy an index fund that has dividends. And what that means is that it follows the S&P 500 exactly. What that means is that you're betting on the American economy. You're betting on American companies, not only American companies, but the 500 strongest or largest, I should say, American companies. What Warren Buffett suggests investing in is Vanguard's S&P 500. I'm going to repeat that just in case you missed it. Warren Buffett suggests that people invest in Vanguard's S&P 500. Index, exchange traded fund, ETF. And if you want the ticker symbol to make it easy for you, it's V-O-O, -O, okay? V is in violin. <laughs> I have no idea what the... V is in violin, O-O. Vu, as in voodoo, vu. If you simply invested in vu, in V-O-O, you would do better than almost 100% of the, of the mutual funds in the last 40 years, last 40, 50 years. It's amazing how well you will do if you make it simple. And this is why. The S&P 500 indexed fund is not managed. So you are not paying a bunch of brokerage fees. You're not paying a bunch of management fees. If you leave your money in the fund, you're not paying taxes on the actual value of the, the portfolio. You're simply paying taxes on the dividend checks. You're not paying money on advertising. You're not paying money for, for, for sales costs. You're not paying money for a bunch of turnover. What happens is you've eliminated the cost. And let's go back to the rules of humble arithmetic for a minute. The way you figure out what your income is, and there's a difference between gross income and net income. Gross income is how much money you 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 brought into your household, or how many how much uh, how much money was was passed to you in the form of a check from your employer or from your uh, from from revenues in your company. What net income is is how much is left over after all the costs, and in mutual funds you are left with almost always very, very little. With the S&P 500 index fund that Warren Buffett suggests, that Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund, exchange traded fund, what you are left with is almost everything. 
because it doesn't have a bunch of costs associated with it. And over and over and over again, and John Bogle uses a ton of different examples, he says over and over again, the S&P is, is basically always better in the long term. The only problem is that in downtrending markets, there are other things that can help out. And I'm, I'm going to mention this. I don't necessarily agree with it myself, but I'll mention it because it's in the book. What, the, what he says is that he suggests a stock bond split of 60-40. 60% 60 in the S&P 500 index and 40% in bonds because bonds offer protection in down times. Um, his rule of thumb is that your bond percentage of ownership should be equal to your age. And this is a very general rule of thumb. So as you age, it goes from 40% to 45, 50, 60, 70% as you age. And maybe when you retire, you're up near this 70% bonds, okay? Uh, because bonds, bonds are, are a, a more guaranteed return in many ways. I'm not going to get too deep into all of this. He talks about a lot of decisions for, for investors and persons thinking to retire. He talks about what allocation should I have between stocks and bonds, which I just talked about. Uh, should I have a, a fixed ratio or a flexible ratio? So should it always be 60-40 or should it should I, I flex? Um, what what Where is the most value? It's more tactical allocation. And then focus on actively managed mutual funds or index funds. Here, here's what I'm going to suggest as far as a theme from the book. The theme of the book is that mutual funds are trash. Almost all of them are trash. This is my personal opinion too. Most of them are trash. Most of them are not going to perform the S&P 500. And if even if they do, after, after all their costs, you're still going to be below the S&P 500. So just invest in the S&P 500. You now don't have to think about it. You don't have to reinvest anything. You simply leave it there. And I'm going to throw something that I I, I'm trying to remember if he said this anywhere in the book, and I don't remember him saying this, but this is a really important strategy for investing. If you want to invest in the stock market or invest in real estate or invest in anything, I'm more of a real estate guy, but I've invested in, in stock markets. I've, I've made money. I've lost money. I've done a whole bunch of crazy things. But what I've found in a general rule of thumb with the wealthy of the world is the less taxes you pay, the less the less it costs you to earn the money and keep the money, the wealthier you become. This goes back to humble, the rules of humble arithmetic in many ways that I was talking about earlier. What I'm suggesting is that if you can leave your money in stocks and never touch it, simply pull out the dividends, you are going to not pay taxes because when you pay, the only time you pay taxes with stocks in, in your portfolio is when you take money out. You don't pay taxes for the value of the stocks as it goes up. In the same way in real estate, if, if you buy a property for $100,000 and it increases in value to $200,000, if you don't sell it, you don't pay taxes on that extra $100,000 that you made. And the strength of investing most of the time is in leaving your money there. That's how Warren Buffett has done so well. Well, one, one reason, right? It's not the entire reason, but it's one massive reason he does well because he doesn't take his money out. And this is, this is a, a rule of thumb generally for all investing. If you take a bunch of money out, every time you make money, you take a bunch of money out, you're never going to be wealthy because you're using that to fund your lifestyle. If you can simply put money away in a great investment over a long period of time 
and never take it out, you're not paying the costs of removing that. Now, if you're not paying the cost of removing it, taxes, and you're not paying brokers and managers and sales and advertising costs and turnover, if you're not paying for all those, all of a sudden what happens? Now you have a chance to have your money grow. This is why I'm, I'm putting this book in here. I don't care about the stock market, to tell you the truth. I don't like the stock market. I do not invest heavily in the stock market. I've got a few things that I do because the government makes makes it, it it easy to to make more money if I do certain things. So, and I'll be I'll be I'll talk personally about this. Uh, Canada has what's called a TFSA, a tax uh, free savings account. The U.S. has something similar, and when the reason I invest some of this, and I actually don't invest in the stock market, but I could invest this in the stock market, is that is that I can now grow my money in a really unique way, but I'm 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 controlled in, in what I can invest that money in. I can't invest that money in my brother's my little brother's business, for example. I need to invest it in certain things. I cannot invest it in my own real estate. Same with RSPs, uh, 401ks, that kind of stuff. If, if if you're if you've got money in those then you're going to have to be a little more creative and there are creative ways to do this i'm going to throw out another idea here because i'm i'm, I'm involved in the investing world and that is if you're interested and again this is this is not my advice for you to do it's my advice for you to check out everything for yourself if you don't don't listen to everything that i say and go oh yeah mark understands what he's talking about i should just follow that don't simply buy s p 500 index fund stock shares read the book Make decisions yourself. Talk to your financial advisor. Most financial advisors are mutual fund salespeople. So you're going to run into some, some uh, difficulty if, if, if you mention this book to them. I'm sure most financial advisors hate that book. Now, there are good financial advisors out there that, that understand about real estate and understand lots of other things and can give you other good suggestions. But what I advise you to do is learn, grow. What I'd suggest is that you spend the, the first investment you make is in yourself and if you're going to invest in stocks invest in stock market education if you're going to invest in real estate invest in real estate education if you're going to invest in businesses invest in in the understanding how a business runs and what how the numbers work if you are willing to invest in yourself and benjamin franklin wasn't it that, that said empty your purse into your head <laughs> empty your purse into your head because those kinds of investments stick it's the only investment that 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 consistently gives you returns if you are constantly learning yourself i'm not talking about a traditional academic education i'm talking go to an expert and learn as much as you can don't go to an expert who's selling you the mutual funds or whatever go to an expert who is impartial about what you buy and simply makes his or her money from giving great advice and helping people understand what they're doing. That's who you need to go to. Learn as much as you can. And here's the, here's the last idea. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. The last idea is once you've, once you understand real estate and or stock market, whatever it is, then what I would suggest is if you've got a 401k, if you've got RSPs, if you've got stuff like that, I'd suggest putting it into a self-directed account. I'm going to explain what that is. If you put it into a self-directed account, that allows you to make the decisions. Instead of other people taking money, making decisions for you, you make your own decisions now. Now, that doesn't mean that you should just go out and blow it on whatever. 
of course you need to do your research. And this is why I said invest in yourself and your, your education. But if you wanted to invest in, in the, the Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund, you can do that. And you can do it without a bunch of management fees. And you can do it without a bunch of things getting in the way, a bunch of costs getting in the way. And now it's, it's, it's your funds. You have control over it. Now, with, with self-directed accounts, now you can do a whole bunch of crazy things. You can also invest in exempt market in exempt markets, which are typically traditionally only reserved for the wealthy. Now you can invest in privately held REITs. Now you can you can invest in now you can invest in in a friend's real estate property. You can do a whole bunch of crazy things. But again, first, what I suggest is learn as much as you can. I am typically really harsh on books. And I want to share the things that I don't like about Jack Bogle's book. Jack Bogle's book is basically an extended marketing of his own funds. Now, John Bogle is no longer living, but he was an excellent marker, marketer, fantastic marketer. And what he was constantly doing in all of his books was he was selling his own stuff, which I have no problem with. I have no problem at all with. Know, however, that that would be one of the disadvantages of reading this book. It's, it's very biased. It's very slanted. That's actually what I like about it. But remember, Warren Buffett high, highly recommended it. And the, the Vanguard's S&P 500 is the exact thing Warren Buffett has said he wants to do with his money when he dies so that it's best taken care of. He trusts no other human being on this planet. All he trusts is, to, is, is the American economy, is, is bank on the, the 500 largest companies in the u.s with that i'll finish it off it's a great little book uh to to read it's a quick read it's it's fairly easy most of the time anytime john bogle talks about math he gives examples and he's got little charts that, that help out in, in different ways i would recommend the read and i would recommend again invest in yourself don't even just trust john bogle or trust me or trust whoever don't do trust warren buffett what you need to do is learn and grow yourself so that you can use your mind the, the more knowledge you have, the less costs are involved in investing. The less knowledge you have, the more costs are involved. And because now you've got to pay another professional. And that's what I'll leave you with. Enjoy your week. I hope this was a good review.